It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. Our number two of a numbers game right here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network, Visa.com, the Visa app, Fubos, Link, Game Plus, iHeartRadio. Did I leave it on iHeartRadio first hour? I don't know. iHeartRadio, of course. It's Gil Alexander. Uh, still to come this hour. Uh, we will talk to Mark Borchard here momentarily, talk baseball with him, um, get his plays of the day. Uh, and we got Paul Sport do a little baseball and DFS specifically towards the end of the hour for those who want to play uh, DFS. We get tweets at Beating the Book, Greg V, NJNY. Primetime action mentioned, drink. <laughs> it's a drinking game. Hey, man, I love primetime action. We have a ball on that show. Again, Matt Brown, Danielle Alvari, Kelly Bidlin. Danielle on a roll with her bets, by the way. Uh, we do it every night, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tonight on MSG+. Plus Live betting. And again, with the, with the lack of pre-flop opportunities in the NBA tonight. That doesn't mean it won't be a live betting fest, so we look forward to that. Uh, Asian Lebowski. Uh, odds to get first haircut. Whale capper minus 120. Spread a PDA plus 100. So that's Drew at minus 120. Jason Weingarten at plus 100. To which Jason immediately text, tweets back, how much can I bet on myself? <laughs> he could have, uh, he could influence that bet highly. Greg V also, by the way, not a hard knocks guy, but is Arizona not getting enough love for that show? Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, James Conner, Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, Malcolm Butler. A lot of personalities and stories to work with. That's true. That's true. And then uh, Sparty Party says, uh, WTF is that squeak behind behind Drew. It's a bird. It's very happy about all of his basketball plays. So what? So in the end, Jason, he was on he was on the on the Knicks there in that game. He's on the Knicks taking the points. That is that correct? The Knicks and the Celtics. I'm confirming it. Knicks with and him, the Celtics. Yeah. Okay. There's there are your basketball picks. Um, let's bring him in, ladies and gentlemen, from an undisclosed location somewhere in the desert. You can follow him on Twitter at basewinner. At basewinner. It's Mark Borchard, everybody. How you doing, Mark? Gil, I'm doing great, man. This this uh, baseball season's been super fun so far. Super fun. Has it been profitable for you? Yeah, it's it's been great. It's been one of one of our better seasons, uh, I guess, from April to May 10th. So, don't want to jinx it, but we're doing really good. The uh, av- actual win percentage is about two percent better than the odds percentage. Which, if I could have that every year, I would just, oh gosh, it'd be awesome. And then we're beating the line by like 81 percent of the time on the line move. So that's really cool too. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool. It's been it's been fun. It's been profitable. Of course, they they they're kind of hand in hand, right? Like. Uh, you know, you don't when you're when you're losing, it's not as much fun. Well, for sure. For in fact, it can be much the opposite of that. It can be really depressing on that. But let's you know, you and I always just sort of organically find our way into some things. Let's talk about what you just said. You beat in the closing line by a whole bunch. I've had entire baseball seasons. You know this. You and I have been betting baseball uh, for the better part of a decade, and we've we've watched each other do this. But I've had entire seasons where I've been beaten closing closing line value and had a losing season. Do you find? I mean, have, has that happened to you, or uh, and 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 do you still abide by the North Star that as long as you're beating that over the long haul, you're going to be a winning better by and large. Yeah, you know, Gil, it's a good question, and I really wasn't that into it when I first started, and and we started tracking the line movement because people wanted to see it, like, hey, how are you guys doing with the line movement? It was something that people wanted to see. So we we started tracking it about five years ago, and it's usually we usually beat it by about seven on about seventy percent of the of the games the model has in, uh, indicated a play on, and. 
I, you know, I don't know to, to, to answer your question, whether that's going to lead to profit long-term, they say it does. Um, but we've never had, you know, the last, since we've, we've tracked it, we've always been ahead. And it seems, I think that this is for me, probably the most important thing on the games where the line moves, they are more profitable than when the games on the games that the line moves against me, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense completely. Um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where where you know if you if you had again if you had the choice, obviously I'll take the wins, not beating the closing line value. Thank you very much, but it is an interesting thing to track. I have just never found it super correlated over time, and you know again it's a long term thing. We have to keep that in mind. If we if we only have two hundred bets a season, that's still an unbelievably small sample size. So that will manifest you know over thousands of plays, not necessarily hundreds of them. Um, let me start with a game tonight that is the only game that doesn't have a line, uh, but it was a game that got post, uh, that was postponed in Colorado last night, and uh, Denilson Lamette still penciled in for the Padres. By the way, it's Gil Alexander, Mark Borchard, base winner, uh, talking baseball here on a numbers game at Visa the Sports Betting Network. How do you handle something like Denilson Lamette? Because there's a pitch count involved, before that game was postponed yesterday, and we kind of knew there was weather in Colorado, so that might happen last night. But Colorado was was catching like plus 162. And I just thought the whole time, I'm like, look, I'm no Colorado Rockies fan. But at some point, if Denilson Lamette, who we know is really good the first time through the order, and then here he's on a, on a severe pitch count, he has been even his previous start, how does your model, like what do you do model-wise to adjust for that? And did you... Are you looking at that tonight before the line's even out there and sort of seizing on it and saying, I wonder what this is going to be and like ready to pounce? Yeah. Um, well, specifically on this game, we have it at minus 268. But I, I heard you guys talking about bullpens yesterday, and they are really hard to handicap. But you have to do it if you're playing these full games, especially like in a situation like this where the guy's on a pitch count. I mean, if you're going to play this game, you got to really love this bullpen. Fortunately, I really love the the Padres bullpen. They're the base winner number one. Um, just to kind of contrast it, Lamette I have as a run suppression, uh, suppressing runs by 22%. Uh, the Padres bullpen as a whole at 17%. I can just speak off the top of my head. I know uh, without digging into the, the individual guys, I know that that Padre bullpen is really solid top to bottom. So, uh, you know, you, you kind of get concerned when, and there's going to be a game that I'm going to talk about, I, I think, coming up, where the underbelly of that bullpen is is lousy. You know, there's a couple guys that if those guys get in the game, they can blow the whole thing. Uh, fortunately, with San Diego, uh, that's not the case. They, they're, you know, eight, nine guys deep, and, and they're all, you know, below uh, are better than average in run suppression. So I like that. Uh, I You know, the problem, Gil, with this Colorado is is – the atmospheric conditions are, are it's hard to play. I think that I will probably personally play the Padres tonight and lay the wood on this game. Lay the wood. And so that's interesting. So, again, I've said five years ago, someone asked me, what's your favorite sport to bet preflop? And I would say baseball. Nothing else is close. And today I would say, yeah, it's not baseball. It's not Baseball is probably not top two or three for me just because it's harder to quantify what happens after a starting pitcher is pulled, starting pitcher being pulled, generally speaking, in the major leagues much sooner than ever before. But your what you were saying right there is you're pretty confident in your assessment of overall bullpen. You're not doing any any uh, 
prognosticate or any, any sort of assessment of who you might think is coming out of the bullpen on a given day, or do you have a bullpen availability component to what you do? You know, that's a good question, Gil. I don't. This is how I do it. I have a top tier, which is a one. That's your setup guy, your closer, uh, your two setup guys, rather, and your closer. Then I've got the overall bullpen, and then I've got an underbelly component. So kind of like, uh, like for instance, let's take the Shane Bieber, for example. You know, he's going to go deep into the game, probably seven innings, and he's going to get that uh, that top end of the bullpen, you know, the, the setup seven, the setup eight, and, and, and the closer. And so he's going to get a higher weight in the model for the setup seven, the setup eight, and the, and the closer, just on the length that he goes into the game. Plus his, uh, and, and I had kind of have it set up like he's probably one of the pitchers that's going to get the highest percentage of of setup seven, setup setup eight, and, and and closer because he's so good and he goes so deep into the game. So there's a high probability that he'll get that combination. Um, but you know you have to you have to look and see how deep these guys are going to go in the game and and. And then, you know, if the guy's a crappy pitcher and he's going to pitch four innings and you've got to get that underbelly of the bullpen uh, a greater weight. So I think that for me, doing the one, two, three is pretty good. It works pretty good. It would be it would be awesome to be able to, you know, predict bullpen rotation. And you can do that. It's just one of those things that's it, from a time standpoint, is it worth that time? And sometimes you have to make a decision on that, Gil. I, I love stuff like this. And again, I, there, there's going to be a segment of the audience of like, what are these dudes talking about? But I just if you, if you want to bet sports through predictive models, you're just what you're conveying is such a, a fascinating window into the different things that one does. Um, and so I was curious how you how you manipulate bullpens or how you manage that. Um, by the way, do you have a LL slash cool manager uh, uh, metric at all that that uh, was invented in Arizona during spring training once upon a time? Is that part of your model as well? That is such a great metric, Gil. <laughs> we have to put that into the G6 model. Yeah, I'm, right. thinking, I'm thinking LL cool M for the G6 model, and I'm also thinking expected ultimate zone rating. That's what we did. The two, two metrics in one game, the Angels yeah. and Seattle. We, uh, and you, you, I think that you were the one that crafted them. I, I will give you full credit. We, we sat there for about an hour in a spring training game. I think it was the Angels uh, spring training game at Tempe coming up with how to assess managers' uh, leash length on starting pitchers and how cool they were <clears throat> under pressure. And I think Joe Girardi, <clears throat> pardon me, pinned the needle on being the least cool. He would make all the... Uh, the moves back in that day. All right, let me just let me cherry pick a couple other games here today, and then you can tell me what you're finally betting here. Madison Bumgarner, we've talked about him before. Obviously, just a horrific start to the season. And then, uh, listen, I guess there's four and a half no hitters uh, this year, if you will, four legit nine inning ones. And people, listen, Mad Mad Bum seven inning one doesn't count officially as one, but he has one of those. He's completely turned it around here in the short season. How do you handle someone? who is so extreme on both ends here. Oh, I got to stay away from Mad Bum. He's so hard to handicap. You know, last year he was just getting bombed. And I kept saying on my podcast, you know, the the uh, Diamondback front office isn't this bad. They've got to see something that we're not. But it was like he was just getting hammered. I think he gave out like five home runs and an inning to, to San Diego. So I think we talked about him earlier in the year. And I was like, this guy's on his way out. I was with you. But like the last three starts that he's he's produced, and this is just three metrics, the swinging strike, the hard hit, and the expected walk percentage, 
against Atlanta, 82 percentile. That was his no-hitter. Uh, and it was, it was only 82%, which is funny. And then he goes Colorado, 77 percentile. And then the last start out against Miami, 88 percentile. So three really good starts. I can't go either way with, with this game, Gil. All right. And then Shohei Otani, let me just use him as an example. Shohei Otani pitching tonight for the Anaheim Angels. Uh, always an exciting night to watch uh, Shohei in action. Angels are plus 140-ish. I mean, this this moved hugely on the Astros. Uh, about 25, 30 cents in favor of the Astros in terms of the uh, the money here early on. Shohei's knock. So Mad Bum, it's sort of like, okay, he's had these, these awful performances and then these really good performances. Shohei's thing is first inning control problems, right? First inning issues with walks have been really the only knock on him, but that's a pretty darn big knock if you're going to start a game like that. Then after that, he's been spectacular, innings two and beyond. So how do you handle a guy like that on a night-to-night basis or on a start-by-start basis? Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought this one up because this is actually going to be one of the plays that I'm going to give out. And I don't do this a lot. I, I tend to play more unders than over. But I like the over in this game, Gil. And one of the reasons is because Otani has such control problems. And one of the things that we're getting tonight is Mark Wegner behind the plate. This guy is an extreme hitters uh, umpire. He's got a tight zone. I think we're going to see a lot of walks by both pitchers. Uh, Otani, from a control standpoint, is 159th out of 160 pitchers. Uh, on his just production uh, this year. And then if you look at the both teams in taking walks, projected taking walks, the Astros sixth in Major League Baseball, the Angels seventh in Major League Baseball. I've got a, I've got a line that's still at eight and a half. I've got projected runs at 9.1. And the other thing is I'm not really that high on McCullers. Uh, you know, he, if you look at his starts, uh, he's got six starts, and from a percentile standpoint, it's 0. 0.07, 0. 0.24, 0. 0.22, 0.44. Did have a good start against the Rays at 0. 0.06 last time out against the Yankees, 0. 0.39. So, yeah, I think that, that that's a horrible combination. You've got a pretty good uh, team at, at taking taking walks. You've got a, a, a umpire that's, that allows a lot of walks, and you got a guy with, with horrible control. So I'm going to go over 8.5 in this game. Yeah. Over 8.5, first play from Mark Borchard on the night Angels-Astros. Was the Padres official? No, this is your first play, right? Yeah, the Padres yeah. is unofficial because I just don't know what the line We don't is. have the line, yeah, widespread or, or at all, period. So eight and a half over on the Angels and the Astros. Uh, you mentioned something there we have to talk about because you and I, on the Beating the Book podcast for many years, and we'll do this here on a numbers game next week, or the I think next week we'll do it, we do our quarterlies on on uh, you know during baseball season where after you know Q1, Q2, Q3, we go through all these different kinds of of stats and and one of the categories you and I go through are umpires. And the reason that you're great for that is you have historical umpire data not just from the small sample size they have the first what will be the first 40 games of this year. So you just mentioned in this game the umpire is once again Mark Wagner. What how often like give me a, a, a ballpark percentage here of how often the umpire I know it's considered in every game on the slate when you're handicapping but how often does it come into actual play to trigger a bet, would you say, in this kind of way? Not often. You know, it's, it's, in there, it's in there from a macro standpoint, so the model actually calculates the umpire in there. But 
you know, you could probably spend a whole career just just handicapping umpire like location, get really micro on it. You could be like, well, this guy doesn't call the left outside four seam fastball, and this guy relies on the left outside four seam fastball. It's just a, again, it's a time thing. Oh. But uh, what I'll do is I'll take a look, and I really like to play unders. Like if Bill Miller is the umpire, Bill Miller is probably our I don't know, he's you know, our sixth or seventh, you know. Uh, lowest umpire, Doug Eddings is our. So I like it when they correlate. I like it when I see, uh, you know, projection uh, from a total standpoint, like, a, you know, you got a half run on the under and then you've got an under umpire in there. And so then I'll go ahead and, and look into it a little bit uh, in more depth, just kind of like I did with that Angels game. I'm like, oh, wow, is he okay? This looks like an over. This guy's got bad control. Let's see how this umpire is. And uh, so it, it, you kind of all put it in place, you know, based on, you know, getting that uh, initial indication from the model, Gil. Okay. So, again, everything you say triggers something. So, again, I apologize because people are waiting for <laughs> waiting for some of your picks. No, it's all, but, it's all good. Yeah. Those, are, those are great questions, yeah. Gil. Uh, here's another one because you just said, you know, if you had the time, right, some things are, are, are time dependent. And it's like if you wanted to, to break down baseball into its – granular level like minutia you just said i could i could break down every umpire on the four seamer you know what does he call inside what does he call outside but some things are just not worth doing have you ever gone down because we talked about last week when you're on that these models doing predictive models and we get this again the, the godfather of all this is the great bob stole dr bob who's kind enough to come on the show all the time and who i've been yeah he's great Gil. i love bob yeah i mean i'm just such an honor to be able to work so closely with him for so many years and see what he does with his craft. But one of the things that I know comes up from time to time is as he's layering his models through the years and he thinks to himself, oh, this might be very helpful. Let me do a deep analysis on this particular thing. And he goes down that road and maybe he considers it. And then he realizes, he goes, you know what? This turned out to be non-predictive, period. Have you ever gone down something Maybe it's not, you know, umpires with pitches, but something else on a granular level where you're like, wow, I thought that was going to be something. Turns out, what a waste of time. Gil, that is the worst. Like, I can't tell you how many days I've spent four and five hours doing like a regression study saying, okay, this is my hypothesis. You put it in, in, in your regression study and it takes a long time because you got to kind of kind of grab those stats the right way and kind of arrange it all. And then like you just don't have nothing. And then, you know, that's four and a half hours of work that you I guess you as Einstein said, you, you didn't fail. You just you just found a, a 1000 ways that you couldn't do it. Well, I've probably found 100 <laughs> different ways that you couldn't do it. And they all take four and a half, five hours to do so. That Einstein guy, man, he had he, he wouldn't he was pretty smart, that kid. Um, very quotable. All right, so over the Angels and the Astros, what else you got then? What else did you play? I'm going to go with the Brew Crew today, and I'm I'm trying to hit spots to play against the St. Louis team. I think this team is one of the luckiest teams in baseball. I've got them projected uh, supposed to have 15 and 15.1 and 19.9 wins losses. They're at 21 and 14, so there's like a, a minus six plus minus there. Uh, if you look at the Cardinals uh, per team, they've got their 3-0 versus Colorado and their 3-0 versus Pittsburgh. So they're 6-0 uh, versus that team. Uh, I, I don't know. What's the line sitting at right now, Gil? I'm seeing minus one. We have minus 130 on the screen. It's, it might be a cent or two below that, but that's generally where it is. Yeah, there, there was a line move on this, and it I think it started at uh, – now, let's see where it was at. It yeah. was at minus 119. Yeah, it's it was gone to 10 minus cents lower. Yeah. 
And, and I, I agree with the line move. I've, I've got the thing, other than the, the, the Cardinals, who I think are going to regress to the worst, I've got the, the game price at minus 136. I've got that 3M, that three metric chart. Uh, I've got uh, Peralta at a 0.74 percentile, and I've got Kim at 0.39. And then one of the things that we talked about with the bullpens on this is uh, the depth that, that the pitcher's going to go into the game. So for, for Kim, I only have him... His average per game is 4.3 innings. And so you're going to get an underbelly of a, of a St. Louis bullpen that I have ranked 29th. The three metric bullpen charts has them ranked 28th. So I think we're going to see a, a pretty steady diet of this crappy uh, underbelly of the St. Louis bullpen. So I think that that's a pretty good play, Gil. I love the, I love the term underbelly. So that's, that's not the closer and that's not the first two setup guys. That's everybody else. It is the last, so it goes closer, it goes closer. Yeah, exactly. Closer's two setup guys, so it's the it's everybody else uh, is <laughs> Love that, under, that under belly. Uh, yeah. that's great. Uh, do you have one do you have one more pick? If you do, let's hold it till after the break. Yes? No? I, I don't. Those okay. are those are two really good plays. I love those plays. You and, got it. And, uh, All right, we'll stay we'll keep it to those. So over in the Angels uh, Astros game, you got eight and a half, I assume. And uh then, uh, then Milwaukee at minus 130. Still a play for Mark Borchard. Always fascinating, Mark. Um, again, not for everybody, but uh, that's what we're here for, the analytics side of things, and that's how Mark Borchard handicaps baseball. And uh, it's one side of the handicapping spectrum, one, one extreme, and that's what has uh, worked for Mark through the years. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Yo, my pleasure. Always love talking with you. Thank you, sir. At Base Winner, the Base Winner podcast is where you can uh, follow more from Mark Borchard. We'll come back. Uh, we'll do some DFS with Paul Spore, among other things. It's a numbers game at Visa and the Sports Betting Network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Back on a numbers game brought to you by BetMGM Nevada. I uh, just got a text here from somebody. By the way, it's Gil Alexander. I will not mention who sent this text because uh, he doesn't want me to. But uh, sports better. Many of us are familiar with him. Uh, he says uh, CLV is garbage. Talking about closing line value. So we were having this discussion with Mark Borchard moments ago. We've had it before with the crack man. And you know, uh, again, for those who have uh, heard this story before, apologize for this. But, um, you know, this is this is a, an interesting debate because I was reared on sort of the pinnacle newsletter back in the day, which was which was written by Simon Noble. Elihu Foistel, famous uh, sports better, told me that he was the actual uh, ghostwriter of that, though, which I take him at his word. He is among the smartest you will ever hear on the subject. And essentially, how we were reared was the rate at which you beat the closing line value is going to be the biggest determinant of your future success in sports betting, period, end of story. <clears throat> so the rate at which you can do that, again, Jason, if Jason Kahn was 15-0 and 0 in his first 15 picks of the year, and I was 7-8, and 8, but I beat you handily on closing line value, a book that could track your bets, so far away place, right, primarily, a, a pre, pre-app days, they would consider me 
more likely to be a successful better moving forward than you, despite your short-term success at 15-0. and 0. And so that's the concept of closing line value. So uh, this uh, better who we all know and love just, just texting me right now. He says, CLV is garbage. Um, he says, to me, it's an indicator of a big public dude that everyone thinks the line is off or too good to be true, and we know how those games usually play out. It's a term to make people think they sound smart. One perspective on it. One perspective. That's a, by the way, Chrissy Andrews, who works here, who runs the South Point Hotel Casino, my mishpucha, who works right back here behind us on the tip of the strip, he will tell, he will say to me, because he loves having that pinnacle conversation with me, he goes, you know, he says, you know why pinnacle does that, Gilly? Because pinnacle loved promoting pinnacle back in the day. He says what he cares about is do you win or not, period. It's very old school mentality with that stuff. So it's always an interesting conversation because, and I'll say it again, I've had seasons in baseball, seasons, where I will crush the closing line value. This is like mid-2010 decade. And you're like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm so awesome. I have defeated the closing line by 15 cents once again. And then in some rare occasions when someone ends up with late entry or whatever, you're like, I beat it by 40 cents or 50 even. You know, baseball got weird through the years. But in the end, did it, did it, does it translate necessarily to wins or losses? Well, if you, if you play it over thousands and thousands of games, that's the other thing. That's the big thing we also, you know, we, we overlook in sports betting. And this applies to everything, even like handicapping contests in football, where we know some people to be super successful um, even in multiple years. Some people would argue that's still not a big enough sample size to figure out if that person is truly on a just a massive lucky streak, or they're really good at what they do. Now, obviously, the person doing it's going to be like, um, it's me, I'm doing it, so it's great. I'm, you don't know what I'm doing, I'm obviously good at this. Um, but there's all kinds of, I guess what I'm saying is there's all kinds of opinions on that, on that kind of thing. And in the end, you could be closing line value to your blue in the face, but you got to translate into wins ultimately. Um, for you to, let's put it this way, if it doesn't manifest until thousands of games pass by, it's going to be a tough thing for one to, uh, to overcome negative variance on. I have a baseball pick, uh, Jason Kahn as well, not only uh, Mark Borchard. Again, Mark Borchard's picks, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the over in the Angels-Astros game. Uh, I am on the... Uh, I'm on the Angels at plus at their price, at plus 145. So... I'm, on, I'm not on the over in that game, but I am backing Shohei Otani against the Houston Astros. The Astros, of course, who I have all the respect in the world for. But counting on Otani being able to suppress the command issues, commander control. Control is within the strike zone. Command is outside of the strike zone. Uh, so I'll say command in this case. Um, I, I hope he is able to control that, control the command, if you will, for the first inning, uh, temper that down. And I got the Angels. I like that price, plus 145. We flash up my uh, old baseball record, if you will. Oh, we don't have that. 12 and 8 on the season, I am, for just over three units uh, on baseball. And again, uh, the other bets pending. The three plays on the 10th seed in the NBA to make the postseason. Made those uh, all three of those north of $3. And then uh, the tennis plays, which, again, if you've uh, missed it for the French Open, all my pending stuff. Whole bunch of bets on Berrettini. Whole bench, a whole bunch of bets on Casper Rude at very inflated cartoon prices. The first time in my life I've ever bet the men's side for anyone not named Nadal. But could this be the year? Well, the value is, is, is nice for those two guys, Berrettini and Rude. 
Uh, so the Angels will play for me today. We'll come back. Paul Sporer on DFS. It's a numbers game at Visa in the Sports Betting Network. A numbers game with Gil Alexander. If you missed any of our show today or any of the VEASAN broadcasts, be sure to check out our free VEASAN podcast. You can catch up on Follow the Money with Mitch and Paul and Numbers Game or the Lombardi line on the daily VEASAN Best Bets podcast. Also check in with my Beating the Book pod, Josh Applebaum's Market Insights. Get PGA Tour betting previews on long shots, the Ron Flatter Racing pod, and the NBA scoop with JVT on hardwood handicappers. Whatever you're betting on, we have a pod for it. Find them all for free at VEASAN.com slash podcasts. That's VEASAN.com slash podcast. Uh, we get tweets at Beating the Book. Anthony Teixeira talking about umpires in handicapping. Umpires that blow games like Angel Hernandez have to have the highest overs, especially behind the plate, interjecting himself, equivalent of Ed Hawkley. Actually, I mean, you know, these things are all trackable. Um, we can see historical over-unders on umpires. Now, we don't necessarily know if that's games that are lined at 7.5, 8.5, 10.5, what have you. But uh, even a free site like uh, like Covers has stuff like that historically. Um, let's see. This is from Mike Mihaljevic. Uh, Gil, was the Georgie match yesterday the benchmark for live in-game tennis? Multiple opportunities to get both players at plus money. Incredible. Uh, we were just talking about this off-air, as a matter of fact. Um, and the question, the question came up, hey, did you live bet your way off that? I did not. Uh, up for love in the third, I was like, we're going to get this. And I never felt that uh, Georgia was going to have that kind of collapse. And then she just hit that wall. So besides one little modicum of a bet uh, at one point, which just sort of took back a little bit, um, most of the outlay, there was no win there for me. But yes, I mean, if you were able to, that, that, there were so many breaking breaks of serve on both sides yeah, that absolutely you could have played that plus money both ways. I was just mesmerized by that match. Uh, but I did not. That was not something, for whatever reason, that I ended up live betting profusely. Uh, but if you did, absolutely, that could have been a tour de force of live betting. This is from The Real Brick One. This was my CLV last night. It does make you think if it's just better to even cash out before game even starts. I didn't, and in turn had to sweat out the Pacers game, and this closed minus 425. So people showing me their, uh, their CLV uh, closing line value success. Sometimes leading to wins, sometimes not. Uh, so with tennis tournaments in Europe, it's the uh, run-up to uh, Roland Garros at the end of the month, second uh, second major of the year in tennis on the French Open side, both men's and women's. Uh, we have these picks, and typically, yesterday I was able to come in and give the Georgie pick, even though three hours and 51 minutes later is a plus 272 dog. We didn't get there, ultimately. Uh, today I was not able to because most of these matches have started. So want to just sort of go into some of the picks that I will make in the dead of the night tonight. Uh, and I just want to focus on two of those. One of those, um, Petrik Vitova is taking on Vera Zvonareva. Petrik Vitova, now help, <laughs> help me with these, uh, Jason, when you put them in the newsletter, make sure that these are all correct. Petrik Vitova is taking on Vera Zvonareva. If you were listening to a numbers game yesterday, you know that we were on Vera Zvonareva, and she won easily in straight sets. Vera Zvonareva, in her match against Kvitova, 
is a plus 260 dog, I will be on Zvonareva at plus 260. Again, in the dead of the night, it's going to be 2 a.m. Pacific, 5 a.m. Eastern. But at plus 260, that's a play for me on Zvonareva over Kvitova. Why? Um, that was very Chris Cuomo of me to throw a Y in the middle of the sentence and then continue it. Here's the thing with Zvonareva. Her clay numbers, we're talking about six-month data and 12-month data. Uh, six-month data, she is hitting at a, and this is where we get into the tennis analytics. What I am most focused on is serve points winning percentage and return points winning percentage and simply aggregating those two numbers above all. And if you look at those numbers specifically on this surface, on clay, uh, you have a player in Vera Zvonareva who the average person who even follows tennis is not necessarily hip to. She has a 107.5 number when I put those two serve and return serve percentage numbers together. That is uh, together. That is borderline elite. Now, it's a small sample size over six months, but so is everything, obviously, with the tennis tour being gone for the pandemic and specifically uh, clay being uh, you know, minimized last year as well. Over a 12-month period, her numbers are actually up to that kind of par as well. A few more matches, several more matches. We're talking about a 106.3 combined 12-month serve and return aggregate score. If I go to Kvitova... Uh, who is obviously a much more well-known player. That number dips in the short term to 102.3. But if I go to 12 months, she is very comparable to what I just mentioned about Zvonareva. 105.2, again, serve percentage, return percentage combined. So uh, is Kvitova probably as good as Zvonareva on clay? Maybe, maybe not. Would I play Kvitova at a big favorite price of north of 300? Absolutely not. Would I play Zvonareva at the plus 260 number? Hells yeah. So that's the play on Zvonareva at plus 260. Uh, the other one that I'm looking at is also in the dead of night. It is Nadia Podoroska against Serena Williams. Uh, obviously Serena trying to get her 24th Grand Slam title uh, to chai Margaret Court's all-time record on women's singles. Um, obviously, Serena's been trying for that for a long time. Serena has virtually no clay data. Obviously, post-pregnancy, this has been the surface that she has played on the least. So we really don't know at this point what we're going to get from Serena Williams, other that she was elite on any surface back in the day. Uh, and then you have a player in uh, Podoroska who over time has put together, well, how can I put this? some of the um, more interesting numbers over a 12-month span in 21 matches, again, serve points, uh, serving points win percentage combined with return points win percentage, an elite number of 109.2. So Podoroska against Serena, she's plus 167. I'm not going to play her straight up because I just I respect Serena too much. So I'm going to play Podoroska on the game line plus three and a half. So the two picks in tennis tomorrow in the dead of night, both at 2 a.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Zvonareva at plus 258 now. I think I just moved it two cents uh, against Kvitova. And Podoroska plus three and a half games versus Serena Williams. Those are your two tennis plays. Here is the tweet uh, from Bob Baffert that has just come, or from Lane Gold anyway, uh, about 
uh, Bob Baffert, and this is from Bob Baffert's attorney. Obviously, we talked about the horse racing scandal yesterday at length and earlier today. In a statement from Bob Baffert via his attorney, Baffert acknowledges now that Medina Spirit was treated for weeks with an ointment that contained the banned substance beta-methasone. This the day after, or two days after, Baffert said that Medina Spirit was not administered any of beta-methasone. So now a bit of a change of tune via his attorney, Baffert acknowledging that Medina Spirit was treated for weeks with an ointment that contained the banned substance beta-methasone. Of course, uh, we're talking about exceeding a certain amount of that. Uh, Not a completely banned substance, but it was in excess of what was allowed. We'll come back. Paul Spore, DFS. It's a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Numbers game proudly brought to you by BetMGM Nevada. Join the sports betting excitement with BetMGM and you can win $100 for a $1 money line wager. That's on tonight's Lakers-Knicks game. Drew Densick once again on the Knickerbockers. And if either team hits a three, you win. Just use bonus code VEASAN100. Get in the ring with the king of sportsbooks so that you can turn game time into showtime. Simply download the app or go to BetMGM.com for more details and use promo code VEASAN100. New customer offer paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call one 800 522 4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Promotional offer not available in the state of Nevada. It's Gil Alexander. Boy, oh boy, Bob Baffert. Uh, We didn't have really time to react to that. He's all over the place the last uh, 48 hours. From no administering of that uh, beta-methasone, that anti-inflammatory to Medina Spirit, to all kinds of things yesterday, which included substance on hay, if you will, cancel culture. Again, I'm not sure if he knows what cancel culture is. And now, again, through his attorney, saying, yeah, well, there's an ointment. Guess we did administer it after all. So we'll see. A developing situation. Obviously, we're waiting once again for the second test to corroborate or not to corroborate the results of the first test. And if that happens, oh boy, we wonder what the ramifications will be. As of now, Medina Spirit going in the, in the, uh, in the Preakness this Saturday at Pimlico. We shall see. Let's talk a little baseball. Let's bring him in, ladies and gentlemen, from uh, Fangraphs and the Sleeper and the Bus podcast. Look at that. Can we show uh, his uh, Twitch right there? Look at that. Spore starting soon. There's a whole bunch of people who are waiting uh, when that screen comes up. Paul Spore, everybody. How you doing, Paulie? I'm doing well, Gil. How are you? Doing very well. Sorry to uh, convert Central Time poorly this morning. I apologize. That's, that's okay. We're, we're all good. Just uh, was doing the pod, so Justin Mason stepped up, said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Do a little pause and come back. It's all good. Oh, thank you, Justin Mason. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's very kind. No. I appreciate he's, that. He's, he, he's the man. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Give, so what is he doing? Give him a plug. What is he up to then? 
Uh, Justin, Justin Mason, FWFB on Twitter. I mean, he's one of the hardest working people in the fantasy industry. So he's doing pods left and right. He live streams a bunch of stuff. Definitely just go follow him. Justin Mason, FWFB. FWFB. All right. Thank you, Justin, for for lending us, Mr. Spore. All right. uh, Let's start with the DFS today. Full slate of baseball. Obviously, we're at Coors once again, we think, weather permitting. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. That's the... That's the tough part. And, you know, depending on your, your level of play, if you're a casual player, um, you got to do a little extra work today and, and make sure that you have a, a backup lineup, basically, uh, in case this game gets gets rained out again. And so uh, I would definitely really lit- legitimately set another lineup where that game does not exist, that you're ready to put in at a moment's notice. Otherwise, obviously you figure some things out. You try to get players in from that. I think that the two pitchers I like basically regardless of what happens and I, I go DraftKings, so I like the two pitcher setup. Kenta Maeda at 7,600. I don't really see a lot of issues with him that have me gravely concerned or even that concerned at all. It feels like he's just a little bit off. You'll see that things like FIP, uh, you know, ERA indicators are are pretty ugly on him too. That's because of the home runs he's allowed. Um, and, you know, he's got the the hit rate, home run rate. It's up, but that's two three homer games at Oakland and at Cleveland, doing a lot of work on Maeda's numbers. He was great his last time out, starting to get the feel for his pitches again. I'm going to take a shot on him at 7600. Yes, it's at the White Sox, but again, this is this is a premium pitcher at a discounted price, and then this price makes literally no sense to me. I, I I don't know. Sometimes they just throw out some gifts, I guess. And uh, Brady Singer at 5,300 against the Tigers, uh, 5,700, excuse me, against the Tigers. That feels like free money. I mean, the Tigers are impossibly bad. Um, I, I just don't see a reason that that you wouldn't take this uh, and put, put Brady Singer on the squad. In fact, it's going to help you afford really whomever you want. Uh, if you want to go higher with like a Walker Bueller, Lance McCullers Jr., Freddie Peralta. I would not go with John Means, and I love John Means, John John Means business for sure. But coming off the no-no, he's very likely to be given um, a little bit of a a lighter outing. It's just something that we see a lot more these days. You know, we saw it with Joe Musgrove. I don't think he even made it five after his no-no. 113 pitches. He was awesome going into New York against the the Mets. You know, if if it's if it's chilly out and he's not feeling great. Uh, I, I, he's up at 10, 10.3. I don't think you can go with John Means today. So I'm going Kent to my Brady Singer, try to get my Colorado guys in as far as who I might stack against if that game does not go off. Uh, probably be looking at Toronto. Bryce Wilson on the bump. A lot of Toronto players want to get in there. Um, I could see Washington and Philly being a good one with Eric Fetty and Chase Anderson. Get a bunch of, hit, get a bunch of hitters there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that kind of sums it up because, again, if that Colorado game goes off, you really want to get into that. We've, we've reached the point in baseball, and, again, three outcome baseball, right? Home runs, walks, and, mm-hmm. and strikeouts here. We're a Baltimore-Mets game between John Means and Marcus Stroman. No, no knock on either of those pitchers. But it's lined at six and a half total. Uh, obviously, Shane Bieber going up against Al Soleil in Chicago uh, over the Cubs in Cleveland tonight, also a six and a half. Like, there was a time not too long ago, and I'm talking like San Francisco Giants, Philadelphia Phillies, NLDS, when you had a Lincecum Bumgarner situation against, you know, Oswalt and Hamels or whoever it was, Halliday, where those games got to six and a half. 
And yeah, here we, and that made sense. And that made sense. And you're like, well, I remember the handicapping angle I had at the time was, you know, there's a floor to these totals. They're not willing to go lower, and you might be able to with value. Here we're at six and a half with these guys, and, you know, my instinct would be to say, well, I mean, six and a half, these are not, you know, again, no offense to the pitchers involved, but these aren't uh, Hall of Famers necessarily. Mm-hmm. But then I worry about the three-outcome game, and it sort of stops me in my tracks, right? And I'm like, well, maybe not so fast on the overs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's, it is so difficult. That's, that's just where we are at right now. Like you said, uh, strikeout, walk, homer is kind of the game and and it's creating a lot of these uh these no hitter attempts that we're seeing i mean even the night that that wade miley threw his yeah. wade miley uh shamanaya was like six innings deep into one and you know john means i think he's a really good pitcher but not the first guy you think of for no hitter um and so i think we're going to see another five or six no hitters probably this year it's just where the game is at the ball changes ended up being absolutely horrendous doing None of what they wanted. Strikeouts are up. Hits are down. Home runs are even down. So they even took away what it used to be, which was even a better home run fest, at least in the three true outcome game. They took away some of the homers. They added more of the strikeouts. They need some fixes. It's 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 reaching a breaking point, Gil. So don't, don't you think that's going to happen, though? Because that's the other thing, right? There's no guarantee they'll use the same ball for the whole year. And I could see this going to the All-Star break, maybe even before. Mm-hmm. But let's just use the All-Star break as the natural sort of divider here in a little more than a month, six weeks from now. I mean, couldn't you possibly see, like, just a long balls flying out of, of the park after that? Certainly. I mean, that could Certainly. happen, right? Yeah, we've seen we've seen changes mid-season before in in the structure of the ball and, and how it plays. I want to say 2017. There's a clear delineation between the first half and second half. It's it's one of those years, somewhat recently, when when things started to change, and you can see that big sweep from break from one side to the other side. There, first half to second half. I could definitely see something like that this year. Even maybe if it's a throwback to the last couple years, where the home runs go back up. Uh, with regard to, you know, the, in comparison to the strikeouts and the walks. But it's still going to be a three-true outcome game. Uh, we, ju- we just don't have enough base hits in the game. And, you know, I don't know that the current leadership is is the right one to figure this out. I'm, I'm not particularly confident in the decisions that they make uh, that, that, that they're going to be the ones to figure it all out. Yeah, uh, it will be fascinating to see how many no-hitters we end up with here. Forget the season, before the All-Star break. Again, four four total and the Mad Bum seven-inning no-hitter as well. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget. Uh, How much Jared Kelenic fever do you have for for later this week? Explain to folks. Quite a bit. Jared Jared Kelenic, one of the best prospects in all of baseball coming up for the Mariners. We've been waiting for it. You know, he's gone... If you remember that whole big blow up with the Seattle guys, uh, with with that idiot from the front office, uh, you know, talking basically about how they're going to manipulate the service time. He said the quiet part loud, as as we like to say, and it was pretty obvious that you know it was it was probably going to affect Kelnick. They got lucky. They got kind. Of, the Mariners got kind of lucky that he had a little injury that they could kind of hide behind. Because if he had just balled out at spring, and then not gotten the call, oh man, I, I mean. 
it already looked pretty bad. It was, it was still kind of suspect that it took this long. I think they really didn't want to just have him come up right after the first deadline there, that like 10, 11 day period, or else it would look really bad. So they let, waited till he could get some minor league games. In five games, he has an 1140 OPS, a 409 average, two homers, two steals. He just went and balled out real quick one week, and then now he's getting called up. So he, he's a game changer. I mean, he really is. You know, they're, they're actually playing somewhat. Uh, somewhat well here their game over tied with the Astros they have a lot of interesting talent right now this is going to be a good infusion into their lineup if they can get a couple guys to kind of come along with we still haven't seen much from Evan White Dylan Moore has been brutal after a solid campaign last year they can get a few guys kind of pushing the right direction along with Kelnick joining the fray with Hanniger and France who have already been good Kyle Seeger who's been good they might be an interesting wild card uh, potential because wow. they, they have they have the kind of talent that could make it happen, um, including bringing up some more talent too. That's kind of where they're. It, it would be a, it's a dark horse kind of thing. Them and KC would be kind of a year ahead. Both are playing a you know little decently right now. We'll see what Kelnick does. I mean, one guy we we talk about in baseball how one guy can't carry a team. Jose Ramirez begs to differ because he's basically doing it by himself. <laughs> I'm not right. saying Kelnick's going to come up and do that, but he's going to be a big impact for the Mariners. It's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait wow. for Thursday. Just said Mariners and playoffs in the same sentence. By the way, Bruce Goldberg on Twitter, uh, Rocks Padres very iffy tonight. More rain snow today with a high in the high 30s. DH scheduled a doubleheader rather scheduled for Wednesday. Much better weather tomorrow. So. Keep that in mind, DFS players and betters alike. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Gil. Sleeper in the Bus podcast. Follow Paul at Spore, S-P-O-R-E-R. Good luck with all your bets today. The Lombardi Line with Brady Cannon next right here on Visa, the Sports Betting Network. 